That is, that is ever my plight, is I like the stand-up. I hate the repetition and refinement that stand-up requires. I like having a good idea, talking about it two or three times, and then never discussing it again. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. I get that. Maybe you should write for television, then you wouldn't have to worry about it. Maybe. Or being funny, apparently. Ooh. Oh. And since we're talking about television shows that aren't funny, uh, we're obviously, during the, the bi-weekly time that we like to refer to as the Big Bang Theory Theory. Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Kyle. And you're watching a show that's sometimes good, sometimes bad, but always uh, delivered once every two weeks. <laughs> that's that's the bare minimum we promise you is we're consistent. I know I've been a day late a few times, but short of uh, any specific tragedy, God damn it, we're reliable. Uh, is today's episode going to be good or bad? Who knows? What's it about? Uh, this is the show where we watch the television series, The Big Bang Theory, and we just kind of pick it apart. People seem to like it the less we talk about the show. But uh, I'm not ready to just be full-on talk show format, so I guess we have to continue this premise on. Kyle, yeah, how you doing? A, pretty good. Uh, just to tie things together, with I know normally we jump into the summary, but I want to make one random thing. Uh, random! Ooga! I mean, it is related to the show and laughter. The laugh track on this week, I don't know if it was... It's probably... Statistics say it's probably in my head, but there felt something weird about the about the laughter in this episode. Okay, Kyle. So I did not have a problem throughout with the laughter, but I did. I I think I consciously did not take a note of it because it was weird and I didn't know what to say about it. But there was a joke that seemed like a totally inane joke to me that the audience had a kind of a bad reaction to. And I was surprised that they kept it. So, I don't know. I don't think that's the same thing you're talking about, but I also felt laughing weirdness this time. Now, I'd like to hear what that joke was, but before I... No, it was like there was one... And again, I don't actually know if... Because I don't remember if the Big Bang Theory is filmed in front of a live audience or not. And if it I, is, I, think I don't we've know called, I think we've we've hypothesized that it has to be a laugh track based on certain weird reactions. And I think we've been called out by our fans... Uh, that they it is in front of a live audience, and I know. Well, I, b- I believe that now because there was like one dude, like there was one dude that I could hear all of a sudden. That's never happened to me before. But it was like there would be the jokes and it'd be like the normal ah ha 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 ha. But then there'd be one dude who was always both a little late and a little loud and a little bassy. So it'd be like ha 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 ha, and then you'd hear ha 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 ha. <laughs> yeah, I swear to God, it wasn't quite that bad. But there was just like one dude who was like. Ha 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 and I, and it was just petering like after the rest of the laugh was over and it did several times I was like who is that guy and why didn't they kick him out for being okay fucking up everyone's rhythm hey let's let's get a little weirder let's in new segment inventing right now tangential deep nerd lore do 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 Deep nerd lore. Yeah, deep cuts and nerd stuff that nobody knows about because it's neither interesting nor necessary to understand other nerd things. But when you're, we're talking about this guy and his, his off-kilter laughter, I am reminded by someone known in the speedrunning community as YSG, short for Yellow Shirt Guy, a.k.a. Blue Glass, who would go to... <laughs> I love that he has, like, three aliens. Like, he's a Western gunslinger. 
Well, and it's it's because so before speedrun in particular the the, the uh, games done quick marathons became a huge thing, but when they were starting to get pretty big, he was a regular audience member for a few years and he, he was known for always standing out because he had a pretty high-pitched laugh and he would always laugh at the most inappropriate times. And so he was like, <laughs> he was held out as like being a very genuinely nice guy who is nonetheless a legend for just destroying people through his, his accidental or inappropriate laughter. And so, hey, if you ever want to go back and watch some old speed runs, or if you want to see someone get through uh, Echo the Dolphin on the original Sega Genesis pretty friggin' quickly, do do some research on YSG. <laughs> but uh, all right, uh, any any other weirdness about the the laugh track or actual live audience before we start talking about the meat of this episode? No, except that makes me want that. Like, I would love to be the person. In, like, I, I just wonder if they screen it or, cause that's the, I had never thought before about what would you do if you were filming a television show and someone in the audience had a weird laugh. Like, yeah. Well, and that's like a best case scenario. Like, there has to be screenings or where, you know, performances, whatever, where someone comes in and they're just a maniac. Like, I guess you eventually have to remove somebody, but. If if someone just has an annoying laugh, what do you do? Yeah. Yeah, if they're just like, yeah, like la- laughing at weird or inopportune times or, you know, like someone makes a, you know, or like sincere, like what do you do if you're in a sincere moment? And it's weird that we've been talking about a sitcom this long and this question has just now occurred to me, probably, be- but uh what do you do if you're like in a sincere moment where it's like, uh, oh, I don't know if I want to have kids and some dude in the audience is like, ha, 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 ha. Well, so I'm sure that happens, and I also, I haven't seen it, but I already feel confident that the solution to that is to shame that person to death, to till their skin turns blue and fog, that was once their soul rises from their body, just the kind of deep shame from a hundred, three hundred strangers there to see their favorite thing that one time in their life that they got to go to Hollywood and see it in person. And uh, all of them just staring daggers at you is how I think that situation resolves. Yeah. Maybe they, like, ritually eat him alive after that. Uh, that would rule. I would support I bet, that. I think you would only have to do that once and it would never happen again. You could just show the tape of it to, like, every audience afterwards. I bet they'd be really on their best fucking behavior. Yeah. I mean, maybe. Kind of like uh, when you go to theme parks and there's if you're in a really long line, sometimes they'll have you know, little games or screens or whatever to break up the monotony. And so maybe we're in line to uh, see the Big Bang Theory. Okay. I, I promise I'm going to let's get to the episode because I realize I've drawn it out. We're now. both doing it. You're, you and I are equally guilty. Do not worry. But that's like, have you ever seen Confessions of a Dangerous Mind? I have not yet, but that's the game show secret agent movie, is that? Yeah, yeah. don't worry about the secret agent part for now. That's not uh, what's what, interesting. What is interesting, and I assume this part must be based on a true story, is that they got, they started to get in trouble because the like there came a point where the contestants on the game shows just realized that they were live on camera and could say, like, whatever crazy shit they wanted. And so it got, like, you know... Back in, like, the 50s and 60s, it wasn't a problem, but apparently there came a point, like, as the shows got more personal and intimate, where it got to be increasingly crazy, and so they had to, 
So they have a scene in the movie, like, for example, and this is, there's real footage of this, but my favorite, but, like, there's a moment, this really happened on, like, the the newlywed show where they were like, where is the, your, this is your husband's favorite place to make love. And the woman goes blank for a second and she's like, uh, uh, in the ass. I, th- I think I've seen that bit of footage or heard about it at least. Yeah. So after shit like that happens a couple of times, at least in the movie, there's a scene where they have to bring a guy in whose sole job is to talk to the contestants before they go on the show and be like, look, I don't know if you know this, but it is a federal crime. It is a violation of FCC standards to put sexual content on the airways. And if you so much as hint at like a sex joke or a private body part, we will prosecute you. We will see that you spend time in jail. Okay, get out there and have fun. That sounds like a good time. I find it very upsetting and I have all sorts of reasons I want to be uh, uh, angry about it, but I'll let it go for now. But yeah. Well, I'm glad that that somewhat at some point it was just too good to be true, and people started to had to, had to start employing the fun police to keep these 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 rowdy contestants from sharing too much about their lives. I think that's that was definitely a setback for TV. I think we were we we're going back to people just exposing every disgusting. Well, we've long gone back to everyone disgust exposing every disgusting thing about themselves, and it's great. So this is the peak of culture we're at right now. Speaking of the peak of culture. We should actually talk about this episode. So another thing to, to front load it, I guess we're going to get into ra- ratings. That's the thing I'm doing now. This episode, something I thought was strange about the laugh track or the studio audience, not a laugh track, uh, is that there was any laughter at all. This seemed like a pretty serious, not many jokes episode. And uh, for that reason, mostly, I'm going to give it a, uh, a four out of 13 today. Oh, oh man, this is interesting because see, this is just... It's okay. We're different people. Yes, this that's been, why there's this, two of us. That this, would be weird if just one of us had a Big Bang Theory podcast. For, for oh, that would be so sad. That would just be so sad. I don't think it's Can that much imagine? less sad that there's two of us, but it would <laughs> it would be more sad. You are correct. <laughs> so both this episode for having some of the darkest jokes in all of Big Bang Theory that I've heard in a while. Maybe not in the because the show has gotten had some dark jokes before, but for having some of my favorite dark jokes in a while, <gasps> and then also for having one of just one of the best Amy Farrah Fowler moments I think the show has ever had. Uh, I would, I would give that. this. I would give this one like a ten out of thirteen. Damn, my highest rating I have given to an episode since we put this new rating system in. Well, and I think four might be my lowest. So we we are. Neither of us going to the extreme ends of the spectrum, but we're as divergent like, so, as we have been yet. Yeah, so it just tells me that if they were to, like, I'm not sure they could fix, I wonder if they could fix this show in a way that would satisfy both of us. Probably could, but Well, anyway. the, thing, the thing about this episode, though, is I'm going to say I didn't hate it. The thing I liked about it is that uh, I would call this a substantive episode. It's uh, characters are actually learning about each other and developing and moving the the greater plot such as it is forward. And I really appreciated that. But also, I didn't think it was that funny. Uh, that maybe I think I was too caught up on some Wallowitz stuff uh, and, and Sheldon stuff. I found, I found myself relating to Sheldon this episode, and that upset me. Maybe it just put me in the wrong place. Oh, boy. Yeah, right? Because you also can't respect a woman's accomplishments? That's most of it, yeah. I, I don't like to recognize any of that. Mostly just the... Uh, 
the the feeling of I know there's a social expectation here, but that's not how I genuinely feel. So what am I supposed to do with that? Uh, but so we have some idea what the hell anyone is talking about. Uh, let us briefly describe this episode. So today's short summary: We watched. God, it's been like 15 minutes in, and now we're just we're watching season five, episode 13, called "The Shiny Trinket Maneuver." And uh, it opens with the boys, the boys, all hanging out while uh, Wallowitz is doing magic tricks. And everyone is delighted until Sheldon comes in and uh, objects on the basis that all magic uh, is inherently deceitful. And that uh, Wallowitz is preparing to do this for uh, Nephew's birthday party. And uh, Sheldon thinks it is uh, upsetting that Wallowitz would go in there intentionally lying to these children. Uh, so that's, that's how we start off. Uh, then later on... Uh, I think Penny's bugging uh, Amy about going on a date or something. I don't know. My notes aren't holding up as well as I thought. But anyway, uh, the Sheldon and Amy couple are officially Shamey, which I think is a delightful name. Uh, oh, they go on a date to uh, the Cheesecake Factory, which I don't think this was intentional, but immediately to me uh, indicated it was going to be a doomed date because I was like, oh, look, they're going to the only place that Sheldon has ever gone they're going to be doing some sort of like routine stick in the mud kind of thing that is not going to work. I just know it. And uh, that is kind of what happens because they're, they're catching up on each other's days as part of their mandatory relationship agreement chit chat. And uh, during this, Amy mentions that she has as the only person uh, credited as the author written and published uh, a paper that is appearing on the cover of the science magazine Neuron. And Sheldon, here's the thing. He is not in any way derisive. He is not mean. But he's just like so incredibly flippantly dismissive. It's just It just rolls off of him. Like She gets this, this big thing on the front page of this magazine. And he's like, oh, that's cute. And goes on about his evening. And so it doesn't go great. Meanwhile, uh, while Matt, uh, Bernadette and uh, Wallowitz are preparing for this magic show, uh, Bernadette mentions that she's not that great with kids. Uh, oh my God, we're actually telegraphing something that's going to happen later. It's incredible. Uh, also, they're, they're preparing uh, their little outfits and they have magic uh, shimmery uh, sh- uh, vests, purple vests. And my immediate thought was like, oh, man, that'd be a real fun thing to wear as a pair to have sex with. Uh, that doesn't happen, at least on screen. There's maybe at the end of the episode. Uh, also, Wallowitz has lavender slacks he wears with it, which I thought looked real sharp. So they're preparing for that. And then, yes, yeah, some foreshadowing about the not liking the kids. Cut back to Sheldon. He's playing Red Dead Redemption in the first, like, name brand video game plug that I recognize. I know they had to have happened before. But also something that kind of bugged me in this episode, not for any big reason, just kind of annoyed me a little, was uh, Wallowitz's room had several video game advertisement posters in it, which was strange, but I don't know. Anyway, Sheldon uh, is actually a little bit insecure about being a shitty boyfriend, and Leonard tries to counsel him, and Sheldon doesn't give a shit. Uh, cut back to the magic show. Wallowitz is totally tanking, uh, but he he's good at taking it on the chin, unlike Bernadette who's getting increasingly angry at the children and, and uh, is threatening to withhold cake and cause physical harm and whatever. And then it, it becomes clear that Bernadette has had no interest in kids. Somehow, in spite of being engaged and, and ready to be wed, they have yet 
to have the conversation about whether they're ever actually going to have kids. And that's something I got really hung up on. Uh, but that is most of the substantive stuff. Uh, Sheldon uh, and Amy go uh, to buy jewelry to make up. Uh, I mean, not Sheldon and Amy. Sheldon and Penny go buy, to buy jewelry uh, to make up for uh, the, the fight. Uh, Sheldon is another thing where he's like, I don't understand this. She's not going to care about simple jewels. I want this pocket watch, though. And uh, then cut back to the boys again. <laughs> oh, God, there's so much shit going on. And... Um, yeah, this is the most in-depth summary you have done in quite some time. It's because really... it's because both plots have actual shit, and I don't know what to do about it. Because usually it's like Sheldon's scared of a bird, and then everyone like goes on and on about how Sheldon's scared of a bird, and now it's like Bernadette and Wallowitz through a series of plot devices explore what the relationship really means. Meanwhile, Amy and Sheldon have a parallel dynamic that they're exploring, except in their relationship, they become genuinely closer through Penny's guiding hand. While Wallowitz and Bernadette have an unresolved rift at the end because Bernadette says she's just going to be the breadwinner and Wallowitz is going to be the cute little housekeeper, something which makes Wallowitz groan. Meanwhile, I am more in love with Bernadette than I've ever been. Jesus Christ, we're not talking about the episode anymore. Kyle, it's therapy time, and now we're just talking about how I would just love to be like a homekeeper with my cute little comedy on the side and some woman would be like, oh, look, I went out and I did the powerful things. And I'm like, good for you, like... Like, these kids and I, we ate some macaroni and cheese and I cleaned the bathroom. And, oh, God, I'm glad I'm valuable, too. And, oh, but no, it's... But also, that was another thing. Um, I guess we're just going to start picking apart the episode now because that's the did, whole episode. Did, did you mention how it ends? Uh, well, I, got, well, I got so lost in your summary. How does... Well, well Wallowitz uh, brings Bernadette back. And, like I said, they settle on the kind of breadwinner thing. And then he, he pulls a condom out from behind her ear because he's going to rail her. And oh, we uh, yeah, you know, I totally skipped over the best moment that you referred to earlier is when uh, Sheldon makes up with Amy. First, Amy is annoyed that Sheldon would have tried to get something from a jewelry store from her at all because she can't be enticed by such cheap baubles. And then as soon as she opens the, the bag or the box or whatever it was, it's a it's a shiny tiara. And she immediately is like, oh my god, it's a tiara, I'm a princess, it's a tiara, it's a tiara, I'm a princess. And uh, it's great. It's one of those moments... That, again, uh, distinguishes Amy from just being the female Sheldon because she has genuine uh, emotional reactions. Uh, and it's delightful. A- Amy is always great. Um, yeah. So let's pick it apart. The thing I was going to talk about bugging me. Well, not bugging me, but this is something that uh, I got caught up on was. Uh, so Bernadette reveals, you know, not just that she's not good with kids, but that she has no interest in having or raising children of her own. And she explains that the reason she's uncomfortable with that is that she had, uh, when she was a kid, she essentially had to do a lot of child uh, carrying herself and hated it. She hated having to do all the little gross things that come with taking care of tiny little snot-nosed, constantly bruised and oozing monsters. And uh, I think... That is uh, something that I don't have a lot of experience with, and so it's why I have a much better time with kids, is that whenever I see kids, it's always just, like, friends' kids, and it's always for, like, a fun thing. And then, like, as soon as one of them gets upset or something, like, oh, that's the parent's job now. I'm out. I don't want to deal with whatever the problem is. Uh, Not only because uh, I'm, like, the fun, good times guy, but also because I'm scared of uh, any sort of 
uh, acting out any sort of authority or discipline or anything will cause untold psychic trauma to the child that won't be recognized for years to come. And so really, uh, I love kids because they're fun and I'm afraid of them because I think they're all fragile little eggshells just waiting to be destroyed. I get that. Uh, one of my, as someone who is a perpetual uncle who has so many goddamn nieces and nephews, one of the great things about being the uncle, and I finally realized how to explain it, is that you can be, hang around kids, but when they are like, when, like, basically when you're a parent, your job is to transform your children's experiences and their emotional inner lives into, like, epiphanies that will help them grow. And when you are the uncle, there is no obligation to do that. So they'll, like, like, basically if a kid falls down and starts crying, if you're the parent, your job is to, like, be like, ah, uh, it's okay, sometimes you fall down and sometimes you want to cry. And that's okay as long as you cry and then you pick yourself back up and everything's Okay. And when you're an uncle, you're gonna be. You can just be like, ah, you fell. That's kind of silly, huh? Yeah, that's true. Well, and for me, a lot of that comes from just again that that discomfort of being around kids. So like, if it, so here's a crazy thing. This is a true story that happened a couple of weeks. ago. It's actually not that crazy, but just it's. I think it's a, a helpful example. I was in another town for for law stuff, and I stopped by a McDonald's on the way out. And uh, it's one of those two-lane drive drive-throughs, and there was a, a kid, a, a child, standing in the other lane. I'd say seven-ish years old. And I looked over, and I'm like, I don't like that that kid is standing alone in the McDonald's lane. I also don't feel comfortable as a strange adult approaching uh, an unparented child. And so I I did kind of like gingerly go up, and I'm like this doesn't seem normal. Are you okay? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, have you done this before? And they're like, yeah, like, it's not a big deal. I have, I'm like, okay. And then I got back in my car and just like sternly stared. And then another person, I think unsatisfied with my own performance, then came out and did the same thing with the kid, except they actually came up and were like, hey, if you want to like get in my truck uh, while we order, that's great. Uh, and that's where I was like, I'm glad that someone else responsible stood in. And there's another part of me that's like, how do I know that person isn't a monster? And I yeah, just watch just a child watch get that abducted. Kid get kidnapped. Yeah, you because just stood by. because I'm so scared of being the scary person. There's like a scary person that may have interceded. And here I am just like, I didn't, I didn't want the child to be afraid. So I thought it was better that a random stranger come and assist. <laughs> So anyway, this is evidence in the future. Hello, hi, my name is Nick Hyde. This is helpful for my deposition. Also, there's a there's a throwaway line from Bernadette that is, again, in terms of horrific things, it's just a blink and you miss it line, but I'm pretty sure she confesses to horrific child abuse because she says they're always complaining, like, I don't make the waffles correctly. Oh yeah, well stick your finger in this waffle maker and see if you can like it then. Yeah, she, she does. It's uh, It's not great. Also, because I just, I watched, why am I, David Lynch's Dune last weekend for maybe the, the fourth or fifth time in my life, uh, but as soon as she talked about sticking your hand in the hot thing, I was like, oh my god, is she talking about the, the gomage bar and the pain box? But no, of How? course it was a waffle iron. <laughs> Most of the time I'm the bigger nerd here, but you just, you just made it about David Lynch's Dune, so you win this round, Nick Hyde. You know, um, I think that might be my recommendation. I wasn't sure what to do this week, but hey, heads up. It's going to be David Lynch's Dune. I'll tell you why later. 
so yeah, that just this is totally aside. We do not have time to get into it this episode, but um, that just reminded me that we never meet any of the girls' family members. Like we've met at least one family member from every one of the guys, but we've never met anyone Penny's related to. I don't think anyone. No, I think didn't her dad come at some point, or or stepped at some adult male relative that she bonded with. I think it was her dad. Okay, if you and say so. I think, and he was... Oh, yeah, you're right. He wasn't impressed, but was nonetheless, I think, friendly with, with Leonard because he wasn't a total jughead. So, That's right. Yeah. You're right. So we've met Penny's dad, but we have I don't think we've met any of Amy's relatives or any of... Uh, Bernadette's. Bernadette's relatives. Yeah, we know Bernadette is religious, but we don't know anything about actual family members and... Well, now I'm assuming that they don't talk to her because she was the breadwinner, but she's so, she so horrifically abused them as children that it's sort of like an open secret that, like, yes, you know, yes, we relied on her to raise us, and yes, she did okay, but we can't ever really get over all of the time she made us stick our hands in the waffle iron maker, so we are, you know, we never talk about it, but we also don't ever invite her over for Christmas. Yeah, that would be interesting if they tried to deal with that in a, a cute, like, mainstream sitcom way. To have Bernadette's family come over for the holidays and to have these little, like, snip-snap dialogue about the horrific things that they used to do to each other as children. <laughs> That's just the wacky, abusive one in the family. Oh, man. So dark. I didn't mean to get caught up on all the child abuse stuff, but... Uh, no, I brought it up. That's what the um, show is. Before we get on to another big big subject, uh, here's, here's a little uh, appetizer, I guess. There's a snooty jewelry guy in this episode, and he plays no significant part, but I hate him anyway, because he is like the stereotypical snooty upscale store employee. Like, he has that accent. I don't even know what accent it's supposed to be, but where you talk like this. And he's looking, you know, down his nose, like, literally head up, looking down his nose at everyone. He's a British person, but he's still American. That's basically the vibe I get from him. And so nothing more to say about it than that. He just shows up. He's in one scene. Um, He doesn't even have a sinister... You know, he, he just sounds mean. He doesn't actually do anything mean to anybody. He just has that stuck-up voice. Uh, it's it's like this actor brought a character with him that didn't belong in the episode. <laughs> anyway, what else do we have? Sheldon gets a pocket watch. Uh, yes, and Penny keeps chiding him for it. And the way he talks about how, you know, he just wants it for himself. Like, he keeps trying to rationalize it. He's like, you know, maybe Amy doesn't want it, but maybe she wants a man with a pocket watch. And uh, it's all played up for how obviously ridiculous it is that that's all Sheldon can focus on. And then the second he whips out that pocket watch, I'm like, fucking goodbye, Sheldon. Hell yeah, that rules. Yeah. <laughs> Love the yeah. pocket watch. Yeah, it's like, we. it's just like, frankly, I think it's a good, it's like, Amy gets a tiara, and we all instantly understand why she would love that tiara and want to wear it all the time. Sheldon gets a pocket watch, and I think it's an equal—it's an equally absurd but delightful affect for him. So good on everyone. Both of these people who generally believe and/or tend to actually exist on a, a different plane of consciousness, nonetheless, at the end of the episode, were brought to to joy. By, by their their cheap shiny objects, yeah, and that's just what makes doing this. What a, we all wish we could do. That all these nerds—they're just like the rest of us. That's what makes this such a smart show. Hey, everyone, 
uh, you know, I'm taking a rare do-over. I'm, I'm moving this one from four stars up to four and one-sixteenth stars. So. <laughs> um, I don't even know why that's so funny. It's just 16 stars. How quirky. Um, so other things, just lightning round. I'm just trying to get through some things here because I know we're dragging on and none of them are important enough to talk about, but I just have to get them all out of my brain. So starting from the beginning of the episode... Sheldon mentions that kids who think magic is real will have other dumb ideas, like thinking that um, Ryan Reynolds should be Green Lantern instead of Nathan Fillon, which is one of the most on-point, like, nerd observations that anyone has made in the show, that, once again, it's, like, one of those random things where it's like, who did they actually get who's a nerd to write that one joke who never writes any of the other nerdy jokes on on this show? Well, and that one I wasn't sure how to feel about, not because I didn't understand it, but because... I just dislike Ryan Reynolds so much that I can't look at that issue semi-objectively. I can't look at whether Ryan Reynolds or Nathan Fillion would really be the better fit because I just automatically hate Ryan Reynolds. Well, that, that's not, I mean, fine, you hate Ryan Reynolds. But no, the weird thing is that they know that Nathan Fillion, which is true, he was the pick on the internet. Everybody wanted him to be Green Lantern. But you really have to be – I mean – just, I'm frankly, I'm surprised that they thought the audience would get that joke. Is I guess what I'm saying because it is true that that was like a conversation people were having, but it was a very online conversation that people were having. I think we um, get one of those every other episode, like one line that's like, "Hey, see, a nerd really works here." We yeah, let him have exactly. One. And he was Green Lantern, but only as a voice actor. So in several of the animated cartoons, he is the voice of Green Lantern, and he nails it because Hal Jordan is a cocky fighter pilot with you know brass balls of steel and nathan fillin does a good job of encapsulating that spirit whereas for all of ryan reynolds good things he does not do like you know arrogant man's man very well um he's just too smarmy yeah i think that's where the line in my mind between arrogant and smarmy blurs but in either way ryan reynolds is on the the wrong end of it Yes. Uh, moving on, there's a really badass Jenga set that they play with in the middle of this episode. The Donkey that, Kong Jenga that's set. Donkey Kong themed, and I want that so badly now. I'd never seen it before, but it's amazing, and everyone should have one. I'm surprised that I didn't already know about it. That seems like something that would pop I'm up on surprised. the internet. And then the second I saw it. The second I saw it, I was like, I bet that's the first thing Nick Hyde is going to mention in this episode. And I was wrong, because apparently you wanted to talk about the real angst of wondering if you should have children instead. So maybe I don't know you as well as I thought. But I mean, Jenga is also cool, all right? But you know what? I don't know why, but I wasn't into that particular Jenga set. And it's because I have that bizarre, deep-seated hatred of, like, nerd schlock. Like, in spite of obviously being a nerd, at least I believe so, for some reason, like putting, like, cute Mario branding on something. Ah, how like, dare you fucking try to merchandise my my arcade cabinet game, you fuckers. They're, they're not just... I'm, it's it's not because of the sanctity of Donkey Kong. It's because the th- the sanctity of Jenga. It doesn't need Donkey <laughs> Kong. It's already great. You put blocks on top of each other till they fall over. What the fuck more do you need? Nerds, what, you didn't want to play it before, and now you can imagine a princess climbing up it, and all of a sudden you're interested in what was already a perfect game, you pieces of shit. Jenga Thank rules. You for that. that was great. <sighs> I appreciate you. So uh, to to quickly uh, touch upon Wallowitz's magic act again, all of his tricks are total bombs, except for one where 
he has like a funnel uh, or a cone of it looks like newspaper shoved into the the front of his pants and Bernadette is going to pour a uh, pitcher of some sort of drink, some sort of like... Milk. It's milk. Oh, it was milk? I, I don't know why I couldn't think of the word creamy all of a sudden. I think it sounded disgusting until you said it was milk. And I'm like, oh, that, that checks out. Yeah, so she's going <laughs> to... You, you thought it was like whipping cream? No, like, I was trying to remember the exact color just now. And I was like, was it kind of brownish? Was it supposed to be like a, a pitcher of white Russians? That'd be strange at a kid's birthday party. But that's the color I remember. So, anyway, it was milk. <laughs> and... So she's going to go pour it down the the cone in the front of his pants. You know, oh, my God, it's going to spill off his crotch. going to be hilarious. But one of the kids in the audience is like, it's a fake picture. Like, I already looked it up on the Internet. I know the trick. What are you doing? Uh, but Wallowitz, you know, is, is game. And he's like, no, no, let's see. You're gonna, it's going to blow your minds. And then Bernadette pours it down the, the cone. But then actual milk starts going down and, and spreading all over the front of his crotch. And two things about that. One... It's the only funny moment in the entire magic show. <laughs> and then two, what other pitcher did they have that had the real yeah, that, milk? Like <laughs> that, that, that part makes no sense. That I, and I think... well, he also has a trick that involves like releasing a bird that he apparently had left in his closet long enough for the bird to have died long ago. And so there's two different examples of engineer Wallowitz. I don't know, maybe he too is on a different plane of existence where he forgets that birds die and that he has an extra real pitcher of milk to help create the illusion or something. They just, neither makes a lot of sense to me. Both are pretty funny, not going to yes. lie. It also leads to the line, hey, can we speed it up on the way home? My balls are starting to curdle. That reminded me of, I used to work in a cafeteria and we'd have to... That, rem oh God. Oh, God. Well, okay. don't worry. This isn't actually that gross. Uh, it's not really gross at all, but you'd have to replace these gigantic bags of milk, like five or ten gallon bags, whatever they were. Probably five gallons. And But because they were made out of kind of thin plastic and they were really hard to manage, they, they fairly regularly split open, and then you'd have five gallons of milk all over you, which, like, when it happens, doesn't matter at all. It's like, oh, God, I'm wet. That sucks. And then, like, ten minutes later, you start to smell the drying, like, body temperature milk on you. Oh, oh uh, God. Yeah. None of this is good. So, I I, you know, did my balls curdle? I can't say. But uh, I immediately was like, oh, I get it. I get it, Wallowitz. Milk is not good. You know what else is weird? That That's oddly nothing. I mean... In real life, there wouldn't be anything wrong with this, but it's just weird on a show that has no people of color in it. That was an oddly multi-ethnic kid's birthday party. That's true. It was... There were, like, there were like three uh, African-American children, which is fine. That's a cool kid. But that creates an extra weird layer where the kid who's giving Wallowitz shit is one of the black kids who's like, man, I don't buy this magic stuff. I can Google this, and I know it's fake. And then, which is fine, you know, it, it just if he's smart and he spots the guy. But that creates another weird layer because now not only is Bernadette threatening a child, but she's threatening this, this black kid that he's not going to get any cake because he has too much attitude. And it's like, this is a weird... This is a weirdly written dynamic all around. Maybe I'm the one who... I'm definitely the one who's being too sensitive. But I was just like, if you just made it an awkward Jewish kid, you wouldn't be having this problem right now. And it would also make more sense. So it didn't cross my mind. But I think had you been aware 
prior to this episode of the fact that, yeah, it is almost exclusively white every episode, every main cast member except for Raj is white. It is notable when they have a group of people who are not also all white. <laughs> that said, I think maybe you're the racist here, Kyle. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, that's usually how it goes. And so as long as we clear the air and accept that you you love race hate, that's I think that we can agree on that. <sighs> what else? Uh, For me, think... that's most of the episode. You got more? No, I think I think I got through everything. Uh, yeah, the the Red Dead Redemption plug was sort of weird. It does again another sort of absurdist joke that I actually did kind of like. Was it's not uh, bad. He wants to walk. He walks into the bar and he's like, "I just wanted to go for a walk, clear my head. Now I'm gonna have a drink. Do you want anything?" And Leonard goes, "I can. I'm playing uh, Grand Theft Auto later." That was a cute joke. And I thought it was also cute. The same interaction. Sheldon gets a little snippy. And then he apologizes. It's the video game alcohol. Waka waka. All right. So we did it again. An episode that we have uh, pretty opposite feelings about. But nonetheless, got a lot of stuff done. This episode is doing more heavy lifting than has happened in... It feels like months at this point. I don't know. Like ever since uh, Priya left the episode, left the show. I'm not sure what it's about anymore. So yeah, and now and now I think we have to say it's like maybe it was better because now that we know when they try to do uh, serious things, you're going to have emotional crises about the realness of it all. So I did maybe... not have an emotional crisis. It just, no, it's okay. You don't, I, I, I you had don't feel like you're ready. You you just know you're never going to be ready to be a father, and it made That's you also true. Have to it made you have to have to spiral a little bit. It's okay. Have I had the opportunity to be a father in a very strange sense? Yes, I wasn't ready for that. I'm not ready for my own kids. I don't know why I brought that last thing up, and I'm not going to elaborate on it until like two or three episodes from now when it becomes one of my old oversharing life stories. But we're not doing that today. Instead, this is the excellent time where we transition into our nerd recommendations of the bye week, where we uh, share something that we think you should watch instead of, or in addition to, The Big Bang Theory. And so I was kind of waffling about what I was going to recommend, but I'm, I'm confident now. But now Kyle, tell us all, tell about us all about your Lynch, the Lynchian goodness of David Lynch's Dune. So I was hanging out with a, a local comedian friend last weekend, and he'd mentioned that he had never seen David Lynch's Dune, and it had been a long time since I watched it. So I, Were you we, talking about it because the new Dune is about to come out? Was that the context we ha- in which We had to out? have been, but I can't imagine why we were even talking about that. It was just, it was just time. It was meant to be. And so, yeah, this is for people who are completely unaware of what the hell I'm talking about. The the current movie that's about to come out, Dune, is sort of a remake, but it's more based on the original novel, Dune, that came out, I think, in the 60s. Um, and how I was initially introduced to Dune, though, was through the David Lynch film, which itself is known for having, at the time, been a terrible box office bomb, I think fairly critically reviled, and also uh, deviated a lot from from the book in a lot of ways that I think bothered people who actually would have known what the hell they were getting into. Uh, it's so it's one of those things where if you look at anything about it at the time, it's all bad news. But I think removed of the expectations at the t- of of the time, I really enjoy this movie. It's hard for me to say that it's like a legitimately great movie. I really don't think it is, but it is so 
strange and fun. Uh, but the, the basic premise of Dune, for anyone who wasn't aware, is it's uh, an allegory for the, the oil crisis and wars over precious resources. Uh, if you actually more analogy, I don't know if allegory is the right word, but you know, you've got different kingdoms. They're fighting for this resource, the spice, uh, the spice is necessary for interdimensional travel. And in that way, it's pretty straightforward, but, uh, there's also a lot about the main character of the novel and the movie, Paul Atreides, having to go through some pretty fundamentally self altering inward searching that I think would always be difficult to translate to film and where David Lynch tries and probably fails. It nonetheless is, it creates an interesting visual experience uh, that, and also trying to portray the idea of folding time travel. Uh, and so this is, like I said, I think it's the fourth or fifth time I've seen this movie. This is the first time I've watched it and everything in it made sense to me. I think I, I'm confident a reason that it went so poorly when it was originally released is that David Lynch throws so many concepts at you. So just as the, the book does, but it's so condensed and it's such an onslaught that I think it's really overwhelming. And uh, I think you really you have to have multiple viewings to even understand how different pieces fit together. But uh, if you're willing to do that, it is a lot of fun. And if you're not willing to do that and you're just not familiar with it, it's also just an insane movie. Like, if you go on not knowing anything, you'll be like, oh, yeah, this is definitely how David Lynch would do a popular sci-fi film. Yeah, I, I don't think it, it's good for a popular film, but yeah, this is definitely a David Lynch thing. Uh, and so I don't kind of like, and I don't mean to like walk back my recommendation at all when I say that. It's great. You should watch it. Uh, yeah, it's funny because I remember, like, seeing that, and there's really nothing that happened. It's not like, you know, like, he adheres, other than the fact that it's all cut up weird and very compressed, he adheres very respectfully to, like, the text in the fact that there's nothing he shows that isn't basically a visual representation of what actually happens. It's just that, you know, the shit that happens in Dune is so trippy and he that when he shows it in its real trippiness and does his like voiceovers and stuff, it's a kind of a surreal experience. Yeah, there, there's a three or four minute sequence of portraying that that interstellar travel, and boy, is it uh, confusing. <laughs> I was trying to think of a better word for it, but really, you're just like you're seeing a series of unrelated kind of abstract images that in a way are trying to literally portray this process, but at the same time capture a process that is something that, you know, regular old humans aren't supposed to be able to perceive. <laughs> and so <laughs> trying to portray the imperceptible uh, was a difficult task, and I think he had a lot of fun with it. <laughs> Kyle, your turn. All right, so that's sort of related Sometimes the sometimes the choice when you're a nerd is the obvious choice is the good one, and I don't just mean my selection for this week, I also mean the idea behind it, which is Disney said, hey, you know what's kind of always been sort of anime? Star Wars. Oh. You know what? Sorry, you know I, what? Just, I know you're about to get hyped about Star Wars. I'm just, I'm strapping in for the ride. It's just like, you know what? 
makes so much sense that it's weird we didn't think about it like 20 years ago when everyone else started doing it. What if we just made, let some anime directors make some Star Wars anime? Star Wars anime. It's just like, it's it's like peanut butter and jelly if no one had ever tried it before. And someone was like suddenly to suggest it today. You just say it and it feels right. And I'm talking, and it turns out, but a lot of times when people say this, it turns out it's a terrible idea. People do things and they sound like they should work and then they're just disappointments. But that is not what we have here today. What we have here today is a fucking goddamn unrivaled masterpiece that I'm so grateful exists. And I'm, again, just amazed that it took so long and yet they got it so right. I am referring to Star Wars Visions. Star Wars Visions is, uh, I guess you would call it, it's an anime anthology inspired by and relating to Star Wars. Uh, it is weird. It's strange that we actually have basically some precedent for this. So that before this, I think the most famous anime anthology was The Animatrix, which was a series of anime-style shorts about the Matrix. The entire time you've been talking about this is The Animatrix. So sorry, yeah. go ahead. We don't have to... Uh, and and they actually did uh, so uh, after the Animatrix did it and sort of popularized the idea of it. Batman did one that was not very good, frankly, and then um, Halo did one that was also not very good, frankly. I think what sets this one apart from any of those, including the Animatrix, is a couple of things. First off, all of those still felt some need because of whatever they were promoting to honor the canon and the continuity of the thing in a very direct way. So, like, all of the Animatrix shorts, uh, like, one of the things that I least like about them is that they feel the need to all be, like, set, like, in a specific context within the story of the Matrix. And also, they were just done at a time when anime was, like, in a very different place than it was now. So, like, the anime directors that they get for those shorts, they're all very good, but they're all, like, basically the people who were, like, the heavy hitters when that was being made. So while the Animatrix is very, is, again, quite good, it's like, you know, they got the guy who did uh, Aeon Flux, and they got a couple oh, yeah, other Peter people. Chung. Yeah, and they got a couple <laughs> other people, uh, you know, and it's all, like, great, but it's basically, yeah. like, there were only, like, six anime movies that anybody had ever heard of, and so those are the six people who make... Uh, who made the Animatrix? Well, and also with the Animatrix, I think uh, what it was like six stories or whatever. I think only a few of them I would consider actual like anime. Like they're all computer animated, but uh, yes, the the anime stuff was very different than what you would expect today. Yeah, and so Disney. Does it, it what basically what does is they're just actual anime studios like anime studios who've made other stuff so like studio ig who made ghost in the shell standalone complex and psychopaths studio trigger which makes i don't like 16 fucking different anime i think they, um, among all the bajillions of things wasn't kill the kill one of theirs maybe kill the kill and that definitely there's <laughs> there is an there's some big kill the kill energy they actually did two shorts for this one i I haven't finished the second one yet but the first one has big kill the kill energy including a scene where someone like is fighting a sith lord and like lightsabers their clothes off yeah, so, it's a, a dark Darth Vader is like, excuse me one moment, I have to increase my power, and hit some button, and all the black panels withdraw, and you get to see, like, 
sexy cut Vader with his like giant throbbing package. He's like, also my lightsaber is a scissor now. I don't know why it does that. It's just they got so many goddamn buttons. <laughs> You're not that far, and that's what's great. Like I, it's actually that's not actually like the best thing about it. Um, but it is. It's these people who are very skilled professionals in their industry making these Star Wars shorts that fuse sort of whatever their natural vibe and energy is with what is obvious a very healthy respect for Star Wars without being, like, hamstrung to, like, the specific narrative of Star Wars. Like, how, like, the new movies all had to be part of a plan that never existed yeah. that had to be devoted to a big lore yeah, that was... They, yeah. You had to have, you had to have Luke's, you had to have, like, the Skywalker saga, you had to have, like, Stormtroopers, and here it's like, they're just not doing that. It's like, I knew I was gonna fail to talk about this, but I guess I'm just doing my if best If you're about to, to talk about through. it, you're not failing to talk about it at all. Yeah, but it's just like, I used to love Star Wars. And then, and the thing I loved about it was that the setting had so much soul and it seemed to have infinite possibility. And then basically what happened is not by itself, but as the sort of apotheosis of the Disney Star Wars brand, the rise of Skywalker came and it killed my love of Star Wars such that I never thought that I would get it back. I watched The Mandalorian. It's fine, but it's not <laughs> anything that's going to make, that makes me feel like I was when I was a little kid, you know, swinging around a, a fake lightsaber and, or swinging around anything that was vaguely lightsaber shaped, pretending it was a lightsaber. I just thought that that part of me, had been killed forever. And then here comes a fucking anime anthology. And the Japanese are like, no, we got this. It's <laughs> like, it's like, you do want to see a short that's about a rock band that just wants to make it big in the Star Wars universe only, uh oh, now they have to play for Jabba the Hutt. Oh, what's that? Jabba's tail is, is tapping in time with their heavy rock enthusiasm. Yes. Yes, that is what I want. Do you want, uh, because Star Wars was, of course, famously inspired by Akira Kurosawa. Do you want a short that's shot in sort of a black and white, uh, samurai-inspired, uh, aesthetic about a wandering mystery man who gets embroiled in a village that's being attacked by raiders and has to have a duel with another mysterious Sith, you know, on a fucking log that's traveling down the river? Yes. Yes, I do want that. Yes, thank you. Do you want another? It's actually the same fucking story. It's another story about a mysterious person who's obviously a Jedi who's in a village that's attacked by raiders. Only this one interprets the whole thing as an expression of naturalism. And it's more like a Hayao Miyazaki short because it's all about how, you know, memory and love or how some people connect to the force. Yes. Yes. Give that to me too. Give it all to me so much so I can just shove it all in my fucking mouth and then give me the one by Studio Trigger where a dude is standing on top of an X-Wing as it flies through space using his fucking giant lightsaber to cut a Star Destroyer in half. Give it all to me and make me love Star Wars again. Ah, it is just all so good. I, I, I haven't finished it yet. I've been savoring it. But of like the, of like the, I think I'm on the sixth episode of nine and every single one that I've watched has been a fucking wild masterpiece so far. And each one is 
totally express it's like its own expression of everything that that particular director in that particular studio loves about star wars and was inspired about star wars to do and just the fact that you can use star wars to tell so many like stylistically different stories that still feel like star wars stories is what i haven't understood why Disney couldn't fucking do all along. This seemed like it was so obvious there was so much potential there, and they just instead they brought in J.J. Abrams, whose only thing he apparently knows how to do is make Star Wars movies that look and feel almost exactly like classic Star Wars movies, but it do nothing that's actually bold or stylistically different or emotionally, you know, new, you know... It's just good. It's good stuff. I was super, like, every single one of them so far has had at least one moment in it that just makes me fucking cry, mostly because I'm a giant man-child nerd. (laughs) But uh, I'm just so grateful to, like, have this thing that I can show to people that's like, look, Star Wars is not dead, you know, fuck 90% of the new movies, everything but The Last Jedi can go, you know, jump off a cliff. Fuck the whole Star Wars saga. Fuck George Lucas. Here is something that was inspired by Star Wars that, you know, captures the soul of it and does it in a fun, masterful, unique way. And I'm, it's just, again, it's weird that it took so long, but it actually, it makes sense. It's like, basically, if you chart the, if you chart the history of Star Wars, it's like, you know, uh, Americans invade westerns. Japanese were like, "Oh, we like those westerns. We're gonna turn them into samurai movies." And then George Lucas was like, "Oh, I like those samurai movies. I'm gonna turn them into sci-fi westerns." And now, and then now, it makes sense. Took way too long, but 40 years later, a bunch of Japanese animators were like, "Oh, we see that you made a cool sci-fi thing out of our samurai thing. Do you mind if we, who are like some of the best, like crazy, colorful storytellers of like crazy." wacky like samurai stories in the world take your thing back and play with it for a little while we promise we'll take good care of it and they do and it's lovely I, okay I, i'm done i i am very excited about your genuine expression of positivity and passion and i'm going to ruin all of that by describing the process that you just explained as the east and west culturally snowballing each other over the course of generations yeah that's fine as long as something good comes out of it who cares (sighs) let's just end there that's so nice that's so good and warm and pure there was a good star wars things everyone have have a nice life star wars is good again look look and you know what for the next five minutes until something fucking ruins it star wars is good again and it might stink but the bayonetta 3 trailer came out the other day i have positivity there yeah mommy's coming back grimes and elon musk broke up (laughs) maybe this is the turning point something happened this last week you know how like since 2016 we've been in the darkest timeline maybe this is where the timeline finally flips back yeah the spell is broken Anime is cool and Grimes is single. How is everyone? <laughs> Bill Murray has broken out of his latest time loop. Yeah. <laughs> now just imagining like this this never ending image of like parallel Bill Murphy's constantly like transcending through time trying to to capture any one reality to show up and do a line in a lackluster Ghostbusters movie. <laughs> <laughs>